You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome to the Limb Hanger Turkey Hunt Podcast, brought to you by Grounded Brand and their new Impact 2.0 Turkey Vest. Get grounded at groundedbrand.com. The Limb Hanger Turkey Hunt Podcast strives to bring opinions and discussions from all aspects of the turkey hunting community, from legendary turkey hunters who hunted in military fatigues to the modern day hunters embracing technology while maintaining traditions passed along for generations. All are welcome at this roundtable conversation about one of the wariest creatures in North America, the wild turkey. I'll stick around. It's going to be a great show. And welcome to another episode of Limhanger Podcast. We have uh, finally got back to doing some tactical stuff. Last week, Joey said he was just chomping at the bit and he really couldn't take it anymore. He said, we've got to start talking tactics. We've got to start talking strategy and uh, we got to find a good guest. So that we did. We found Jay Sisk. Jay, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. I don't know if you found a good guest, but you found somebody. So, <laughs> no, we found a good guest. I've, I, I told Parker, I don't know if I told Joey this the other day, but you and I, we actually had a chance to go hunting with each other one time. So, uh, we've got a chance to spend a little time in Turkey Woods together. It was different. Yeah. yeah it was, it was a good time. Um, kind of got our hunt ruined a little bit, you know, so we can get into that later on. But yeah, yeah, it was a good time. And like I know we've been talking for a while trying to get out in the woods. So it was a good time to spit out there. That was man. We did. We like talked about we we talked about deer hunting for a while. And then I think we found a yeah. common bond with turkey season. And uh you said, hey man, you got a boat. Let's uh I got a spot I want to hit. Let's go do it. And we did yeah. and, and that was a good time. So we'll, we'll talk about oh, that. Yeah. For those people that out there may may not know you uh give them a little bit of background on on you and kind of some of the stuff that you're doing behind the scenes uh out there on your your hustles yeah so like i said my name is jay sisk um i grew up just north of nashville tennessee um ended up working out in montana for a short while for an outdoor media company out there called montana wild um great time filmed some elk hunts you know mule deer hunts it was phenomenal but it was a little too cold for the Southern boy. Plus I was dating my now wife at the time, long distance. And so moved back, got married, bounced around a couple jobs. And then my brother, who's always been into the film world was like, Hey, come on down to Nashville. You've already been around it your whole life pretty much. And just start doing freelance film work. So that's what I do as a, you know, nine to five quote, nine to five is freelance film work down in Nashville. And Luckily, that gives me the freedom to do a lot of other things um, and get in the woods a lot, which I do. And I take full advantage of that. But um, I've started a company back in 2020 when, you know, COVID, everything hit. You're kind of like twiddling your thumbs, kind of wanting to do something. And I started a company called Out Here Co. And we do start off doing sessions like out here, um, tailgate sessions with up-and-coming country artists out of Nashville, um, singer-songwriters. And then we started making hats, you know, retro-looking hats and that type stuff. And then from there, went into some other things and did last year with NWTF, the Pawn Shop Shotgun. Excellent. I, I mean, Jay, I remember, like, the first time I saw y'all's hats specifically, I was like, this is these are my people i like it's hard to find hats that that are like this like this retro kind of vintage look vintage fit it's hard to find them out there 
And that was that was back when you said in 2020. And I was like, oh my gosh, these are my people. Then Adam randomly is like, hey, you should check out my buddy's stuff. I think it's right up your alley. And so I've been following you guys ever since. And obviously it's grown. But man, one thing I'm glad it, it has not outgrown is the retro hats because I love them. Oh yeah. Oh well, that'll always be a part of what is out here, Co. I guess that's kind of what I wanted to be, kind of an old school retro type brand, and it's kind of why, like in the pawn shop shotgun that we shot last year, we did that four three kind of VHS look on a lot of like what I grew up watching. You know, the Primos, the Harold Knight, you know, uh, or the Night and Hail. You know, those type old school videos, just VHS. You'd stick in there and watch with your dad, and just love it get all excited for turkey season or deer season hmm. even the music is like retro it's got that like old primos kind of feel uh, to it it's your awesome shots too man like your your camera shots i love usually like the ending of it where y'all are like walking out in the field all jolly and <laughs> you know high-fiving and it like freezes on the high-five or whatever it's just like real retro i love it man yeah it's, yeah and it's that- cool as crap Oh, thank you. Thank you. And that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, we wanted to make it as retro as possible. And my sister was actually the one that did the music. So I told her, I was like, and she grew up, you know, around the house and would watch Primos with us and stuff and everything. So I sent her, you know, hey, you know, this is kind of the vibe I'm going for. I'm kind of want something like this. And she's like, oh, I think I can make something up. And then, you know, a day later, she sent that over to me. I was like, that's perfect. That is it. Y'all nailed it. You absolutely yeah, yes. nailed it. So I have a question. This is more of a, a production type question on that specifically, just because I'm curious. Did y'all actually shoot with like vintage cameras or did you just edit like the the vintage color correction and all that stuff? We actually shot with just like a newer camcorder and a Panasonic. And then I just put a kind of VHS kind of filter on it. Yeah. And um, just, but then I'd cropped it down, you know, to four or three and then the VHS kind of filter and then just faded the shots in and out, just kind of like the old school style. That's perfect. I love it. Have you noticed that there's been a few other channels that are doing that now too? Like, really? oh, you haven't seen that? I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Rare, I think Rare Breed, they're okay. doing it. Like they okay. do their intro. So it's like the intro is very VHS, like old school Primo's uh-huh. feel. And then it's like very cinematic after that. So they yeah. kind of change it. They, but yeah. they start from, you know, old school to a new school. Yeah. Which I love. There's a few others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, that's awesome. That's cool to see that other people are doing that. But that's just, I mean, I'm sure they grew up the same way yep. we did, you know. And so that's kind of why I wanted to do it and just kind of like the nostalgia aspect of it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I know it's going to, for most of the people that are like my age, y'all's age, you know, we all grew up watching those those tapes and it's just kind of like it's just brings back good memories yeah and i don't know uh, what it is about turkey hunting that still like the, all that retro stuff just still carries so well i got of course i'm not as familiar with you know the whitetail world as as uh, other folks are but it just seems like that turkey hunting culture embraces all of their retro uh old school stuff videos hats apparel uh, tactics you know we there's some of us uh, purists out there that you know do it the old school way just like they did 40 years ago it's amazing that it's all that has stuck and continues to stick for sure for sure and like you know mossy oaks very much you know stays with that retro vibe which i love and um did y'all get the mr fox vest i did i, I thought you did what number <laughs> yeah. did you- uh, three thirty nine. No, did you get one? No, and I didn't, oh. and and I totally regret I didn't get one. I'm. So I should have texted you, man. I should have been like, "Hey, you, you gonna come hang out with us and uh, sit in line all night?" I know. I was there too. I was there for two of the days, and I just didn't get it. And I was like, ah, "I was like, I don't want to get it," but I was like, "I just didn't do it." And now I look back and I'm like, "Man, I'm an idiot for not getting it." I'll be honest with you, man. It's a collector's item. It it feels like a flak jacket when I wear it in the woods. Like I was in the military, wore a flak jacket a lot. And that thing is just like, it's it's going to last 150 years, maybe 200 years. It's built like a tank, but it, that's why it feels like a flak jacket. It ain't never going to break down. So it's going to yeah. take me a while to get that thing worn in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, last year they took that vest around the, the number one. Uh-huh. And 
my buddy Gary Stanton got to hunt with it and he was tagged out because we tagged out, uh, we doubled up in Tennessee with, and that was his last tag in Tennessee. Um, and then he got to hunt with that vest and he's like, buddy, I got to hunt, do some hunt with this vest. I don't have anywhere to go. I was like, well, I got a Kentucky tag. He's like, I'll go up there and call for you and we'll just uh, see if we can't get a bird. And so he called in a bird for me with that vest and then, you know, had the little notebook and everything and put it all down. But um, yeah, so that was the first time I got to see it. I was like, man, that thing is cool. And from then on, I, sh- I, I thought I wanted it and I just never did. And I, I, like I said, I hate I didn't get one. Jay, um, uh, you may have just answered the question I had, but uh, I'm curious, did the pawn, pawn shop shotgun and the fox vest ever cross paths last year while they were everything was kind of being traded around you know yes so they they were definitely in in the same vehicle at one point now we didn't really do anything i should have maybe taken some photos with them we never did but there was yes the pawn shop shotgun was in the vehicle and then gary had had that vest and we were out there hunting that's freaking cool i mean when you think about it like like the two traveling pieces of gear for turkey like in the turkey world they we're in the same place at one time that's i don't know i think it's pretty cool that's pretty yeah. cool is your yeah. shotgun worth as much as the as that mr fox vest you think no no <laughs> I, I wish it was but no there, there's no way it was getting mad Could have gone with something other than pawn shop shotgun yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean uh-huh. how much did you pay for that thing i only paid 250 for it nice cool. yeah and I went in there and bought a shotgun after you did. And I told him, I was like, oh, my buddy Jay came in here. And he's like, you know, he's like hooked up with NWTF. And they were like, huh? I was like, oh, yeah, man, it's going to be a big deal. Like, y'all going to have your, like, you know, you're building all everywhere. And they're a customer of mine now. And it was, dude. Like, that that was really cool. They were excited about it after I got through telling them the, the whole story again. That's awesome. That's awesome. The funny thing is, I went past that pawn shop. And it was in the middle of being traded owners yep. and they yep. repainted it and so you can't even tell it's the same place really because no. it's like he's have like gallons and pawn and gun on there but it doesn't even have that on there now but that's funny that you went up there and bought one right after i did at that same pawn yeah. shop i went and bought a 301 uh, and a 20 gauge that's oh, nice. picked one of those up yep. heck yeah heck yeah that's, that's a good spot it's a good little yeah. there's a lot of good stuff in there but um funny like we are talking about the fox vests and stuff so Harold Knight had hunted with the fox vest uh, two days before I went up and was able to go hunt with him with the pawn shop shotgun. And so that was kind of neat because Strickland had gone up there and hunted with Mr. Uh, Harold. And then I went up there and was able to go go up there and join him for a hunt and let him shoot one with it. So Jay, Jay, I got two things. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about pawn shop shotgun. First, tell us like, what the show was and for those that haven't listened to it um and number two i want you to tell me like you know some of the guests that you got to hunt with but also tell us about the surprise uh, guy that you hunted with and you're like man they just blew my socks off how good they were at turkey hunting and really calling in turkeys and just and overall being a woodsman um so okay so for the people that don't know what the pawn shop shotgun is you can go on the out here co youtube and watch the full series um there's 11 episodes and um i had this idea i was calling around back in uh i guess around december for um last december um of 2021 i guess that would have been um trying to find a 30 30 for a buddy of mine and i was like man and i found one the guy went and bought it and it was just so cool beat up just you know nicks and dings you could just tell it'd been used. And I was like, man, well, you know, it would be cool to, you know, take a gun like that, travel around, you know, take a shotgun. Cause I was like turkey hunting, perfect, you know, conservation as far as turkey numbers are kind of down. We were needing some, you know, something for turkey conservation, make it to where we can partner up with the NWTF and make a show that we can, hey, say, hey, we're going to take this shotgun around have people hunt with it. It's just a used old pawn shop shotgun, kind of also to showing, showcasing that, you know, you don't need anything crazy to get in turkey hunting. You know, we have a lot of bells and whistles nowadays, and those are all great, and there's a lot of good tools out there. But for the people that are just wanting to get into turkey hunting that don't know anything about it, you're like, 
you can just go get a pawn shop shotgun. They they work just as well. Use a bead, you know, shoot steel out of it, and just you know, it works. And so, um, so we so I went and got that shotgun. It's all beat up. It's a range. It's a Winchester Ranger one twenty. And then you know I talked with um, NWTF. They were like, "Hey, this is a great idea. We'd love to partner up." And so was able to go out and start making this series and make it a retro type series um, and have it to where everybody that hunted with the gun was going to sign it. And I was trying to line up, you know, certain people to go hunt with it. Um, And then at the end of the year, we were going to have it be either auctioned off or raffled off. And so it ended up being kind of raffled off. And so um, it was one of those things to where we're trying to just raise awareness for turkey conservation and raise money for the NWTF to help with turkey conservation. Um, and so that was kind of the gist of the pawn shop shotgun. All right. So going back to like guys you hunted with, what was, let's name a few of them. So obviously I said Harold Knight earlier. So that yep. was, you know, he's a legend. He's kind of one Absolutely. of the, again, like it was like between, you know, Will Primo's and like, you know, night and hail so primos and night and hail those videos that's kind of what i drew inspiration from because that's what i grew up watching all the time so we went and hunted with mr knight um up there in kentucky on you know the big old farm up there they've got and that was super special funny thing is too or not funny it's awesome he made um a bunch of diaphragm calls for me and i was watching him you know he's sitting there making them custom you know cutting them and everything and I'm now tagged out in Kentucky this year. I shot one Sunday and I shot one this morning. And so I'm done with w- w- in Kentucky and I called both of them in with, the, with one of those calls. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. And so um, that was pretty neat. And just seeing him work, you know, you know, he's just real meticulous and just kind of sitting there, you know, and working on it. And um, it was just neat to see him do his thing. And just, you know, he was, you know, real knowledgeable, you know, obviously with just being out in the woods and like, you know, he just, you know, say, you hear that crow that, you know, they're, they're, they're hollering at a turkey and, you know, about, you know, two minutes later, here come a little turkey out, out of the woods from where those crows were going off, you know, and he just, you know, he could tell, you know, by the sequence, what they were saying, you know, it's just, he's been out there. He's been doing it a long time. Um, and then, um, so we hunted with Mr. Knight. Then we went, um, I guess another big one would be Dave Owens, uh, the Pinahoti Project. And I'm not going to lie, Gary had me a little, ins- or some some people had me a little scared to go hunt with him because, you know, he's a serious, he's a serious hunter. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get out there. And I'm like, be toting a camera around, trying to follow him around. I'm going to mess him up. And I'm just like, I'm going to be, I was a little, I was a little intimidated to hunt with him, you know? And ended up, man, he was, he was an absolute blast. I love, I love Dave. Um, and he is an absolute turkey killer. And um, he was, he was phenomenal to be with and hunt and just spend some time in the woods with him. Um, and Jay, I, I'm curious on Dave. Um, like uh, He's a champion caller. Like when, when you were there, just sitting there listening to him call. I'm I'm assuming um, there was no question of who was going to be the caller on that hunt specifically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, was it was there like a noticeable difference on how the turkeys responded to his calling? And like, did you take away anything from that um, being able to be there and hear it in person? I mean, he's like you said, he's obviously. I mean, he sounds, he, he's a turkey pretty much. When he's in the woods, he's he's a straight turkey. You couldn't tell if he was, you know, most time, you know, you can hear some people calling. You're like, oh, that's a hunter over there. If Dave's calling, you're like, that's, that's turkey over there. And he was, I mean, he could get them to gobble. Um, and if they were, if they were around, they're going to be gobbling. And um, yeah, he, he was just, he was great at, like he said, like, I'd, didn't even touch my calls, obviously, you know, like when, when you're hunting with him, you're like, I ain't, I ain't going to touch my calls. Um, I and, probably wouldn't uh, even wore a vest. I don't think it'd just be like, eh, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the vet, the, I, I only wore the vest for the seat. You know what I mean? Just the, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. I've always said if I hunted with Dave or even Harold Knight or some of those legends, the only thing I'd bring with me was a yellow legal pad and a pencil. 
That's right. Just take yeah. notes the entire time. Take notes. Yeah. So, but yeah, so Dave was, you know, they definitely responded more to him and he, he, it's like, I luckily I filmed it all so I can go back and I can rewatch some of those things. Um, but yeah, he, um, he was just, he, he was great. I mean, I don't know what else really was to yeah, go and, exactly, but yeah. And not to, not to cut us off on, on hearing more about this, but I've been thinking a lot about that. I mean, just going into some tactical type stuff, like I've heard a lot. Um, I've heard a lot of people say like Collins only a small percentage of your turkey hunt woodsmanship does blah, 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 blah. I agree with a lot of that, but I do notice I hear more gobbles, the better at calling I get, right? Like there are times when I'd go to places that I go to now and I'm like, man, there didn't used to be turkeys here. And now there's, now there's turkeys gobbling. I'm like, I, probably just because you you sound like a turkey, <laughs> you know, you don't sound like a freaking duck out there, you know? Well, it may be, um, was it last week? Was it last week we were kind of talking about, uh, or maybe the week before, I forget. Sometime in the past few weeks we were talking about uh, a shot gobble versus like a gobble that's responding yeah. to a yes. call. And I wonder if that's exactly what that is. They are interacting with a call instead of being shocked by whatever sound that was that made them gobble. I'm I'm just kind of like, you know, I I'm I I see the value of of what people are trying to say when they say, oh, calling's not very important because I, I have been successful before I was a decent caller. You know what I mean? Like I killed a few turkeys and I just feel like maybe, maybe hunting media doesn't emphasize like, yeah, you should be trying to get better at it. Uh, I feel like I always hear people say it's not the most important thing. Yeah. But you should still be trying to get better at it because I do think there are, there is a difference when you watch somebody like Dave go out into a random place and find turkeys gobbling where most people aren't it's not just because of the colonial wares you know what i mean like there's something he's doing differently to make them gobble anyways just a thought hate to interrupt but i think that was a, a nice little rabbit trail to follow for a minute oh 100 100 yeah and um but yeah so dave was a great one to hunt with um and I don't know, like, have y'all watched that episode where the peacock? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You better be glad you better be glad Catman wasn't hunting with you. He just smacked, he smacked <laughs> that peacock with, that, with some, yeah, with some shotgun. Right. The funny mm -hmm. thing is, I went back out there and hunted at that farm opening day of uh, Tennessee season, so this past Saturday, and I called that peacock in. And I'll tell you what, he came in just like a gobbler. Most of the time, there had been one goblin with him. And so I was like, I think, you know, there's going to be the Tom coming in. Tom didn't come in, but Peacock came in. And I'll tell you what, he stuck his head over that hill and didn't see a hen around, um, you know, because I was just in the timber. And I was sitting there and I was like, man, if you were Tom, you'd be dead. But he he kind of stuck his head up over and just, you know, I saw that big old tail of his come up and then he just walked on off. Does he think he's a turkey? Like, what's going on with that joker? He thinks he's, I, I'll tell you what, he's almost more skittish than the Toms out there. It's wow. it's crazy. And he'll fight, he'll fight them. I've seen him fight the birds. Now he doesn't win, but, but he'll get in there and fight hardest. That video where the turkeys are gobbling and then that peacock starts doing its thing. It's so bizarre. It's so it freaking weird. weird. It, it's definitely an odd place because you go out there and you're like, am I in a jungle? Like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> yeah. I've got a peacock out here and then I've got turkeys gobbling. I don't know what's going on. Jay, but, if you were to, uh, like, have one of those situations where you just had to kill a gobbler, like, you know, like, you've got a, a turkey that's just beating your butt and you're like, man, I'm going to kill this sucker, but I need some help. Out of all the guys you took on that, you know, the, the pawn shop shotgun, who would you want to take with you to kill that turkey? I know I'm putting you on the spot, man. That's You're tough. Putting that's spot. You're putting me on the spot with that one. I know. I mean, I'd have to go Dave. Go Dave? Okay. I'd have that's to fair. go Dave because he was just – he he wasn't a bully in the woods. You know what I mean? Like, like he, even, he knows way more than I do, but he's going to he's gonna sit in there. He's going to talk with you, you know. And that was the thing about, you know, he relied somewhat on me on that, on that hunt because – 
you know, that was my farm. And I told him, I was like, they're probably gonna be roosted here. Now I just, that's all I said. And then he just did his thing. And, um, but he's, he would be the one he, he's a great guy to be on the hunt with, you know, obviously phenomenal caller and he's a turkey killer. So if I had to pick somebody out of all that, I would probably pick him. Now, somebody I would, you know, you were talking about who is my backup kind of second, yeah. like, or kind of like, I guess what you said, the whisper Sur- surprise, who is surprise. your surprise guy that you would take? Yeah. Um, I would say, and it's not necessarily a surprise, but more so just because he's only been hunt turkey hunting, maybe the last hard, the last four years, maybe. Um, but sorry, hold on. I don't know what happened. Hold on. Sorry. You're good. Um, sorry, something popped up on my laptop and I popped out of it. Um, would be Gary Stanton. He he's a let's see last year we hunted obviously only hunted one we hunted with him and charlie on that um one hunt and we doubled up or he he and charlie doubled up but then he and i hunted we only hunted four times three times we only hunted three times together last year out of those three times we shot five birds wow and he's yeah, we, he doubled up with Charlie, and then he and I doubled up, and then he called that bird in for me with the Mister Fox Fest. Um, and he's he he's 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 a turkey killer. He's he's that's all he wants to do. He lives and breathes turkey hunting. And um, in fact, I was hunting with him this morning, and then but he had to head to a meeting, so then I left with him, and then I went up to a spot in Kentucky and tagged out so um but casual no big deal yeah no <laughs> i went up there and tagged out real quick sorry uh kentucky's awesome i hear oh kentucky's, <laughs> kentucky's a good state kentucky's a good state tennessee kentucky. i'd put tennessee and kentucky up there with some of the best turkey hunting spots out there but probably kentucky number one right jay <laughs> probably yeah, definitely I mean, I'd, have to, well, I'd say I'd definitely Jay. Definitely. Jay. Well, okay. One. All right. My bad. Okay. My bad. Sorry. 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 I, I understand what I'm saying. I would say, <laughs> no, no. I, I think Alabama's the place to go, you know? That's, you know, you're right. You're right. It is. <laughs> it's a place everybody wants to come. I mean, it's everybody pretty much like the Disney World for turkey hunters. Jay, yeah, I don't know Alabama. if you knew this, but in 1975, Alabama had like a half million turkeys, and Tennessee only had like 5,000. So I'm pretty sure we haven't had time to keep up. What year was that? What year is that, Adam? Well, 75, but still, it's like, you know, it just kind of oh, shows okay. where the habitat. I mean, and I will say this, because like, and it's good, Tennessee, you know, is, let's talk a little bit about conservation, I guess. Yeah. But Tennessee, you know, is cut back on turkeys. They've gone back down to two birds, which is, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I did like when it was four birds, but that was a lot of birds. And on to Alabama, man. We got four of them down here. You can just kill four of them real quick. You can kill four of them, yep. <laughs> and, I mean, hey, I mean, I do miss those days, even last year when it was three, but it's it's good. It's It'll help pop the numbers back. Yeah. Um, and because, I mean, back in the day, out at that one farm, the Peacock Farm, I'd go out there and, I mean, it was nothing to hear 15 to 20 birds gobbling. And now you hear 10. Which still phenomenal, but you know, like it's it, it. You can tell it's gone down. Like it used to be back in the day. You go out there, man. It's just like, I, you can be an idiot and walk into them. You know what I mean? And now it's like there's still a lot out there, but you still, you know, it's it's changed a little bit. Um, and the numbers, like, and and that's not at every farm. Like, trust me, most of the farms, you're lucky you hear two birds gobbling. But that farm there is just, it's one of those farms where it's just right there on this, you know, creek and high bluffs. You know, you got low on the one side, high on the side that I can hunt, and they like to run those ridges. And it's its just phenomenal. But anyways, um, yeah, so I don't know. I guess I was going with conservation, just, you know, talking about taking it down to two birds. And it's just, that is, it's probably for the best as much as us that want to get out there and keep hunting, you know. Um, it's just did you learn did you learn a lot through pawn shop shotgun speaking on on conservation like did you feel like kind of getting in with nwtf and doing this whole thing for them like 
you start to see more through kind of that lens, I guess, through that experience? And I think, yes, you do, because you start being a lot more mindful of it because, you know, you don't want to go to one spot and kill four birds, five birds off each spot, because then next year you're going to look at it and be like, I'm going to come back and, you know, depending on how many hens, you know, if they had, you know, a good hatch, you know, if there's, you know, a lot of, you know, poults running around, then it was, you know, then who cares, you know, if you got a bunch of jakes running around, not necessarily who cares, but um, it's, you know, you have that good replenishment, but if you go in and you shoot a bunch and you're not seeing any jakes, you're not seeing, you know, any young birds coming up, it's kind of one of those things to where it is true. It's like, you can't just go in and just start mowing the population down because then you're not going to, it's hurting you. You know, it's one of those things you could be hurting, you know, we're looking at more down the road, but you could even be hurting in two years and three years. Um, Mm. But, you know, we want to make sure, you know, for our, our kids for, you know, I don't know if we're not finding out what my, our baby is, if it's going to be a boy or girl, but whatever it is, you know, I want to make sure that we have birds to hunt, you know, when they're old enough to get out there and chase them. So, um, but even, even with that in mind, you know, it could, it could be affected within two years from now, you know, if you go to one spot and just start slaying birds. Um, For me, I know like whenever, like when I go to NWTF, like especially around that February time, time frame when we're all getting kind of done with deer season turkey season's coming up nwtf conference comes in right around then we're like we're all just fired up you know everybody's talking about conservation all of a sudden and i feel like i feel like the more you like with your experience where you actually like went in there and hunted with a lot of these people and started i mean collaborating businesses with these people um it kind of seems like it would be easy to kind of change from that seasonal type guy seasonal conservationist to seeing like a a, a broader range i know the the deeper i get into turkey hunting and caring for turkey conservation the more i start to notice it all all throughout the year you know what i mean yeah 100 100 you're you know you're checking fields you're you know seeing how many, you know, poults are out there running around and stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it definitely, I would say like in the past, I'd always, you know, like, Hey, make sure you're a member at the NWTF, you know, or, you know, if there's, you know, something comes up, you're like, Oh, I'll give money to this. Um, and, but after doing this more, so I've definitely been a little bit more aware and just kind of in tune, I guess, with, you know, okay, there are things that, you know, there's a lot of, like, Obviously, the money that goes that we spend with our tags, a lot of that does go into, you know, state conservation and stuff. But a lot of these private organizations that do a lot and there's a lot of research out there um, that these, um, you know, NWTF is doing. It's it's really good. And, you know, it's good to be a part of that. I think one reason that uh, the conver- the conservation topic gets really fired up around the NWTF around the NWTF convention in February is because, you know, it's burning season. There's a lot of burns going on. So the more of that activity that's going on, the more it's going to get talked about. People are trapping hot and heavy because uh, you see it all over social media. Everybody's got them dog-proof traps out there in February and early March or January through March. And uh, everybody's trapping coons and possums and everything else. And so it's just uh, that gets turkeys on the mind. Uh, and it's just the the season for conservation efforts between burning and trapping. Yep. Which this year I got a little bit in, like into uh, coyote trapping. I was trying to trap some coyotes out at my father-in-law's farm and set out some snares and stuff, trying to learn, you know, some of those things. And it's a good thing to, you know, it's a good thing to do to trap coyotes as well as, you know, it's a fun thing to do in the off season, you know, in between deer season and turkey season and, um i'll tell you what it's it's a learning curve it's it's not easy but had uh finally was able to get one in one of the snares um i had i had a couple misses on one of the trails and finally got it set right and just the day before season closed trap season closed i i got one so um 
I'm actually looking forward to getting back out this next year and doing some more trapping. And um, I, I don't know. I like the hides too. I got like several coyote hides that I've shot and stuff and everything. So it's just one of those things that one more little thing, like you said, and I need to go out and put a couple of those dog proof traps out and probably get some of those raccoons and stuff as well this next year. So Jay, interesting facts. We're talking about conservation now, but you know, this past weekend, you three guys were all killers and I was the true conservationist because what I decided to do <laughs> was, you know, I, I was like, let turkeys walk by me. And I was like, I ain't shooting those turkeys, but all you guys were just like, you're doing your thing. Jay's tagging out in Kentucky. Parker's casually killing one in the rain. Joey's killing one in, in bad weather. Uh, but this weekend, Jay, Parker had this idea. He's like, man, we really need to talk about rainy day gobblers. And I think we've all encountered them and they're, they bring their own challenges. So the one that you killed, I think you killed Saturday. Was that a Kentucky bird? Uh, was it Sunday. It was Sunday. It was Sunday. Yeah. Now, was that post rain and was that like the windy day, I think? Or did y'all have any rain that day? So I shot that one right before the rain came in. Okay. So, yes. And so, like, but the wind had picked up and then um, the rain had came in right after I shot one on the back side of the farm of my father-in-law's farm. And then as I'm walking back to the house, I hear my brother-in-law shoot. And so he shot one on the other side of the farm. Um, and that, and kind of just going back to conservation a little bit, but like just seeing the Turkey numbers, like Turkey numbers have gone down there at that farm, but now that farm we're seeing eight, nine, 10 strutters, you know, out there uh, all over the farm. So the numbers have really bounced back there. Um, but yeah, uh, it's rainy days or they're tough. Luckily, I was I was able to get that one right before the rain came in. And I was I was going to be worried when those high winds came in and, you know, that rain got to, you know, going sideways. It was it was probably going to be a pretty tough one. So where were you at? Were you a, was this a field bird? Was this a, a timber bird? Where were you at? It was kind of a mixture there. So it was he flew down, hit hit the woods and then came up into the top of the backfield and there was a little side field and I was in the woods and first off I started there trying to call hoping to pull it in and have it look down into the woods where I was and it just it, it was just out there strutting in the field like doing its thing and so I was scratching leaves calling every now and then just wasn't over calling and then, but he was pretty fired up. So he was hammering quite a bit. And so I was like, I think I can get on this a little bit. So I started, you know, you know, hitting it a little bit harder and he he was just hammering at everything. And then I moved because I thought I, I need to get back out in this field. And there's this tree line right there. And I got out in that tree line and stayed there for a second. And as well as I left, he he had started to go down into the woods, down into the holler to come up to where I was. But I, when I started calling over here on the tree line, then he came back out to the field. I was like, I got a better chance of swinging back around and shooting him where I was. So I swung back around, got in there and um, got to calling. And he sure enough, he started coming down. And I said, I picked this one spot to where I was like, he's going to come up. He's probably going to be, you know, 15 yards. But this is where I've got to be to where, because otherwise, if I set too far back, he's going to come up and not see anything and get out of there. And so I sat there, you know, just mainly scratching the leaves, called a little bit. And sure enough, he came in. I could hear him spitting and drumming. Um, and the next thing I know, I just see his head come up over the top of the log. And he he pegged me as soon as he, as soon as he came up over the top, but I was on him and I let him have it. So if you Man. could attribute like a, something – you know the success to that right like is it historic knowledge of the farm and how to move is it being a good woodsman is it being a good caller patience what what would you how would you describe that i'd say on that one it was a little bit of woodsmanship and probably um and i i'm not going to sit here and say i'm the best caller cuz i'm not i'm i ain't no you know don't put You're me up on good I mean, you're, you're pretty dang good. You're better than I am. So, I mean, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's like, yeah, no, I heard you. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, I can, you know, I can call it a bird. You know what I mean? So, um, but, um, I would say on that, I tell you what, never overlook scratching. Scratching is because 
that and I think too moving moving on that made it seem realistic to him because I, I moved closer moved away moved over to the other side of the field and moved around so don't be afraid to move even on the bird I shot today yeah. I moved two or three times they were short moves but they were enough that he could hear okay this bird's actually moving around I did a lot of scratching today on the bird that I shot and it's just because you know if they're sitting there and they're hearing a bird you know, burp, 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 you know, they're just, you know, yelping, but they're not hearing any leaves. They're not hearing nothing moot crunch. They're going to be like, what is this, you know, bird floating on air? Like, like what's going on? They're not going to want to come into it. So I would say don't overlook the scratching because that's what I think ultimately got him to come in that last, you know, 20 yards um, on the, on the Sunday. And even on today, um, I was scratching those leaves and just was able to just pull both of them up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super, it adds so much realism to any setup. How many hen turkeys have you ever seen stand in one spot and not move and just call? You mm -hmm. ain't seen one. I ain't ever seen one. Uh, just scratching in the leaves. And I've heard people, I remember Doc Weddle uh, specifically talking about this before he would like set up uh, and sit down and wait. He would back up and like pace 20 yards, 30 yards, uh, 30 yards behind him. And he would pace another 20 or 30 yards, you know, like side to side and call for a handful of minutes. Cause you know, if the bird's 300 yards away, unless he's running at you, you got some time. And he would spend that time just mimicking a hen, just kind of pacing back and forth and calling, scratching and leaves. And then he'd go sit down. He might still call a little bit, but just that, that movement, and uh, I think uh, before he sat down, it just made it a little bit harder for that gobbler to pinpoint exactly where he was at, where he was at. And so the gobbler would come to an area that maybe was like 30 yards in diameter instead of the gobbler knowing exactly what tree he was sitting at. You know, Joey, talking about that, um, this weekend, actually, I've kind of got a, a case for what you're talking about. Um, started out the day we talked about it being a rainy day turkey we started out the day it was raining i went to this spot because there's a ground line there and i was like i'm gonna wait out the rain uh sit here in this ground blind so i sat there till about seven o'clock and i did some calling you know a couple of louder sequences mostly just some feeding stuff or whatever i got out of the blind at seven i just couldn't take anymore and kind of stopped raining i walked i don't know 20 feet maybe maybe 20 feet hit the call and he answered like a hundred yards away. Um, and the, and the, where he answered and kind of what he was doing, he was coming to the call and that he heard that he heard me doing all morning long. He was going to eventually show up up there. Um, but just the fact that I moved a little bit closer um, and really as the, when you look at it, I didn't even move that much closer. I just moved into a different spot uh, where he hadn't heard the calling coming from the whole time. And that's when he answered. So interesting thought when you said that, Joey, as I am, I guess, I mean, that, that does happen a lot. It happens probably more than we even realize where mm -hmm. Turkey's been hearing us come and walking that trail for a hundred yards. Yeah. It's, it's almost like they literally know exactly what tree you were calling from. Even when they were like, the last time you called was a hundred yards away. When they get there, like they're just bird dogging that exact tree looking for you and like, where is that hen at? She is not where I think she should be. And that's a lot, you know, I think Jay, you talked about like having to shoot quick at one point, one of your stories, like that's just the way it is. And you see a lot of these YouTubers now, like, you know, hiding the hen and a, a gobbler crest in the heel. And all you see is that neck and head and the periscope. And then they're dug down. You got like a couple of split seconds and that's it because they know exactly where you are supposed to be at. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tough too, Jay. You were talking about the the which one of the turkeys you said popped up over a log yeah. and saw you. I'm always wary of that about having a log or a tree like right there because that is a hard edge. And when you if you got a good setup and it's just like a rolling edge, you know they'll they may take a few more steps where you can you know if you can see his beard and stuff like that. I think it gives you a lot better shot opportunity. But man, sometimes if you got that log or whatever just that hard line he can just poke his head up and you can send a pattern his way but half of that's going to go into something else 
Yeah, yeah. On that one, on that one, I, I could only see, you know, about, I mean, just his head. I mean, just the top of his head. Yeah. So when I shot, I, I mean, he pegged me and I was like, I've got to shoot now. And so when I did, I just kind of like raised up just enough and just mm -hmm. shot. And then I had to, I mean, he flopped a little bit on that one. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I've missed birds that way. I've missed birds from a log. I have one. There's actually a video of it on YouTube that I shot several years ago. He popped his head over the log, shot, missed, and then he kind of ran a little ways and I killed him. But, um, I mean, you wouldn't think that a log would do that much, especially when there's part of his head sticking out. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, when there's, there's still part of his head sticking out, like, you should be able to hit some that's a hard shot. Like there's yeah. not a lot of people that actually succeed on that shot. Especially if it's close. Like you just, yeah. you're shooting a softball at them, at, you know, close ranges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're that close and you're, I mean, it, it may seem like you're an inch off, but you know, moving an inch at 10 yards, you know, it's a lot different than moving an inch at 30 yards. The, the movement is minuscule at 30 yards, yeah. but at 10, at 10 yards or 15 yards, you got to swing on that bird and probably eight or nine times out of 10, he's going to beat you. Yeah. Well, I got, I got something to, to bring up when talking about uh, kind of going back to rain um, and, and a lot, you guys, y'all both live in Tennessee. Y'all there or all three of you guys live in Tennessee. Uh, a lot of field birds in Tennessee and, because there's simply a lot of fields. Thing that we know about turkeys that, if you don't know already, uh, in the rain, a lot of turkeys like to go to those open areas like that. Um, it's it almost seems like it, it almost seems like rain makes them more predictable. If yep. I'm being honest. Um, but man, I hate a field bird. <laughs> I I struggle with them. I want to know, Jay. Adam tells me that you're kind of a field field bird dude. Like that's how you hunt a lot of turkeys. How are you doing it? Like, I feel like every time I go to Tennessee or um, somewhere more Midwest or whatever with field birds, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. You know what I mean? Yeah. With field birds, it's, it's tough. And a lot of the spots that I have are fields mainly, and you have limited woods that you can get in. And so you're kind of like, well, this is where I've got to be. And in those cases, you're like, I mean, you've almost got to have a visual as far as like a decoy or something. And um, as much as sometimes like you don't want to have, you know, like I like just running gunning in the woods um, probably more than anything. But I grew up hunting a lot of fields. So I grew up with, you know, a strutter, a hen or, you know, a half strut. Jake, my favorite probably is like if you're going to do hunting a field where you know they're going to be out there and you've got to be on them is a hen laying down with a half strut Jake over the top of it. And most of the time, if it's a dominant bird, he's not going to he can't stand that. And that's how my brother-in-law shot his. I told him he was going to hunt the field up on the backside of the farm and was like, hey, he's going to hit the field. He's going to have hens with him. I was like, well, if you're going to want to pull him away, you're going to have to do the, the hen on the ground and a half strut Jake over the top of him. And I said, and face him towards you because he's going to want to strut and come around in front. And they said that he did exactly that. They said, as soon as he saw the decoys, he just came straight in. So if you're hunting fields like that, man, it's, it's so tough otherwise to get on them. And if, if there's any role in, in, uh, you know, the terrain, use that to your advantage. A lot of these fields, you know, these ag fields out here, they have, you know, um, like some type of ditch that runs through them. And so if you're not using decoys, get in those ditches and you're going to have to crawl. You know, you're you're going to be on your belly. You're just going to have to be laying down and you're just going to have to use what little bit of a roll there is, you know, to throw a call back and try to pull him. And again, it's just going to be him usually periscoping up looking, and it's going to be another quick shot if, if you're going to be, you know, getting on them. But I would say in the fields, if, if you're going to go after him without a decoy, don't be afraid to be aggressive. You've mm -hmm. got, you've got to go to him because 
if they're not coming, you know, I mean, just like as well as anybody, you know, if a bird doesn't see anything, why is he going to go over there? And so um, you got to be aggressive if you're not using decoys in the fields. Yeah, I used to have a saying that if you didn't have like holes in the knees of your pants that you weren't trying. And then I met some of these guys like, you know, Alabama guys, especially that's got all this timber to hunt. And they're like, huh, I don't crawl on turkeys. Like, (laughs) why aren't you crawling on turkeys? (laughs) I just didn't know any better, man. Like all my my pants had holes in the knees. Yep. 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 A lot of times up here, we're not lucky enough. You know, you get permission to an 80 acre, you know, farm and it's filled. You know what I mean? For the most part, you got one little line of timber, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where your limitations of uh, setup really come from. Like, imagine imagine you have like a 40-acre field, and it does have a couple like rolls in it or whatever. If you take that same topography and you put a bunch of hardwoods in there, the game changes. Because you can get, you know, 30 yards, 40 yards from those turkeys without them seeing you. But... When you take the take that out of the equation, you basically have that perimeter of that forty acres to get something done, and uh, you're you're just not able to get that aggressive uh, as you would in the hardwoods. It's a lot more patience of calling that bird across an open terrain and hoping he doesn't see you before he gets in gun range if you don't have decoys. Um, and in that case, early season probably makes it super tough because there's no cover. Uh, and then once you get up into, you know, April, late April, you get a little bit of cover, you can tuck away 15, 20 yards back in the, back in the timber some, and then call that bird across the field. And he has to stand at the edge of that field to look into the woods to see if there's a hen in there or not. And by that time it's too late, but, uh, man, before that, it's just, it's tough. I've always had a hard time with them too. Yeah. I feel like I feel like field bird like fields are God's conservation model. Like I just <laughs> every time I go hunt them, I'm like, God I just don't want these turkeys to die. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Like, like we just need to let them be field birds, and we'll go hunt the woods and hunt the fringes and do all of that stuff. Yeah, because God just didn't want to. He didn't want them to die because I can't freaking figure it out. Every time I, mean, I go, there's parts. And he, you know what? What's the crazy thing about it is, whenever I'm scouting on on x or whatever going to a new place and i see fields i'm like oh look at that there's a field there but deep down in my heart and like in in the depths of my soul i know like but you're not going to kill one there so why even try <laughs> hey i still like that field to be there and and in all seriousness that's another a uh that's just a different habitat you know that could be one of yeah. three or four habitat types that's in that area. I ain't going to set foot in that field probably uh, like you said, Parker, but I'm glad it's there. I'm glad the turkeys have that option to hang out in there. I'm going to, I'm going to head into the woods. I'm going to stay in the woods where I belong. It's a, it's the destination area thinking about it from deer hunting perspective, you know, it's yeah. literally yeah. a destination area that yeah. they will be going to. So when you look at a map and you're like going to a new area, turkeys will be heading to that field. Yeah. They just, uh, they just talked about it on the wild turkey science podcast. I think this week they were talking about, you know, fields and how, um, uh, I don't know, there's maybe like this misconception that fields are like, you know, like pastures are really good for turkeys because they see turkeys in them all the time. Well, yeah, that may be the case, but they're not making, you know, more turkeys in that field. A field is a, it's just like a, you know, like a bench or whatever in the hardwoods or up on a high flat ridge. Uh, where that gobbler's going to strut and he's going to hang out. He's going to be seen. He's going to be heard. So turkeys like to hang out there, but they ain't making more turkeys there. That's just a place for them I mean, to. I mean, technically, I mean, I, most of the videos I've seen of turkeys making other turkeys have been out in field. <laughs> <laughs> They're making more turkeys. I don't know how, how uh, many turkeys are making it out of those fields. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't resist that one. Jay, you guys, y'all have like a a cool little network of music and hunting and um, merchandise, you know, apparel. Uh, what could people What could people expect? Are you, are you guys is that all going to continue being a staple of out here, Co? Like all of all the things included? Or are you guys going to 
try doing something different in the future. Yeah, so we're gonna for sure keep doing the um the sessions. So we're, I'm gonna probably after turkey season this summer, I'm gonna ramp some of those sessions back up um and get some new people on. Um and then this this turkey season, I was kind of down. I wasn't, you know, baby on the way. I wasn't gonna be out in the woods filming a bunch and traveling around all over the country. Um, so this season I was I was kind of limited to just me getting out and hunting and especially like last year I was out traveling around so much that I still was able to get out and tag out in Tennessee and then I got one in Kentucky so um I still I still got some hunts in as much traveling around and filming as I did last year um but this year obviously I'm just going to be more doing my own thing and um around the house but um I'm wanting to do some more I, I there might, might be something similar next year i don't know we'll see as far as um you know i there, there, there's some talks about some things going on so we'll we'll put something together i'm probably going to put something together for this fall for deer season um as far as you know hunting and filming something goes um it's always going to probably have a retro type feel to it just because that's kind of what out here co is is kind of the branding on it and um yeah so we're going to do that and i mean i would love to get into a bunch of other content as well so there's there's a lot more stuff to potentially be out there that's so cool so i'm i'm interested to hear uh adam shared a pretty funny story with me this afternoon um and i'd heard this story before but i didn't realize that you were the other hunter that was within this story um you guys tell that I, i'm i think it's it's kind of funny you said earlier you like y'all y'all's hunt got kind of ruined, but I don't know. To me, it sounds like it maybe was made a little more memorable. Yeah, I'll let you tell it, Jay. He's heard my you, side. You want me to tell it? Or do you, you yeah, yeah. You you do it, man. He, Parker's heard my side, so you you tell this one. Okay. Well, so like like Adam said, we've only ever hunted together once, and it was this this one time. And I was like, I found this one piece of public ground on an undisclosed place. Um, and I was like, man, I think there's going to be birds there. I just have a feeling, you know, looking at the topography, looking at everything. And I was like, I don't think many people are getting back in there. It's like, you've got to use a boat. And I don't think many people are getting back in there. And he was like, I got a boat. And I was like, well, let's go. Let's, let's, let's get on some. And then I had a buddy that was wanting to go with us. I was like, Hey, do you mind? My buddy comes with us as well. And he's like, no, I don't care. So we went out there, got you know, parked right at the spot that we were wanting to get to, went out there, and I don't know, how many birds do you think we heard? I mean, at least three or four gobblers, easily. At yeah, at least three easily. or four right there pretty close to us. Yeah. And so we were like, all right, we got to start making a move. And so we're looking, you know, at the map and trying to figure out where the boundary line is and everything. And they're roosted up on public or on private land. And so they pitch down, and we can hear them. We finally get get eyes on them and they're still on private land but they're coming down towards the public so again field birds what it is we start crawling and so we're we're getting in there we're crawling we're getting real close to them i mean like we're pretty much on the property line trying to be like all right let's see if we can't get them to come over about that time we hear gravel coming down you know there's a gravel road on the private land we hear a truck coming down the gravel road we're like oh you got to be kidding me this is just about to ruin our morning and we thought it was just probably a farmer coming to check the cows because it was cows on that other side on the private side and sure enough that thing rolls up then turkeys get a little spooked and start going up into the hills where they came from and that truck rolls right up there to them next thing you know you hear boom somebody shot it out of the truck somebody like i think <laughs> it was a passenger guy shot out of the truck and next thing you know he goes i got two of them I was like, oh my God. so some dude done shot uh, two turkeys with one shot out of it was it just one shot or was it two shots it, i think it was just one i think yeah. he killed two and one. so we saw the most redneck illegal poaching event of my entire life <laughs> right there right there and then they just threw him in the back of the truck and yeah. just drove on off did you tell if they were gobblers or hens or what I feel like there was gobblers because there was yeah. three gobblers, I think, strutting coming down there. And so I think it was two gobblers that were probably pretty close together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Gosh, Park, Parker's relieved now. I was like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm so glad it wasn't him. Yeah, it was just two gobblers. That's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> Didn't check all the boxes of poaching. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if it were like two hens or something, because that sounds, I mean, I'm telling you, it's people, somebody's going to drive up and do that. Like they would have done the same thing with hens, I feel. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I've seen a lot of that kind of stuff come from Tennessee, um, especially some like the, the urban, the urban Tennessee areas. Seem like Tennessee, um, like the suburban Tennessee area is very similar to uh, the suburban areas outside of Atlanta. They just carry a lot of wildlife, and so I remember a couple of years ago there was a video, like, like somebody's security footage where the gobbler strutting in a field and the car i think it drives by and then backs up and shoots out the gun shoots out the window and somebody's security footage yeah um, like the, the ring totally, like the ring uh uh doorbell camera or whatever the, oh, sure I saw yeah. that yeah it's in somebody's yard <laughs> somebody it like a freaking truck i'm pretty sure that was in tennessee as well it was. I'm, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, I remember like yeah. a white pickup truck. I don't know why I remember it, but yeah, truck pulled up, backed up, shot the turkey. Old boy was just, I mean, hauling it, snatched that turkey up, threw him in the cab, and they bolted. Man, that turkey was on Facebook in five minutes after that. Yeah, like posted. Oh, look at what I just called in. Mm-hmm. Oh, Good old ring Probably doorbell was- cameras had better hunting footage than half the YouTubers out there. <laughs> Wow, Joey. No no shots intended, Parker. Freaking wow. Hey, I said half the YouTubers. Imagine how many YouTubers there are now. You're in the top. Y'all are in the good half. Let me I'll go ahead and tell you, Parker. I don't want you to feel bad. Like we hardly ever get the shot of a turkey. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Like it is true. Like sometimes trail camera like you see guys share the trail camera video of their kill it's like gosh it's better than the stuff i get with a three thousand dollar camera out there (laughs) they just carry a ring doorbell on a stake that's right that's right gosh man tennessee like like kind of um it it seems like you have like this stretch with tennessee Uh, maybe it's just the south do you think this much poaching and like bad ethic lives outside of the South as much. Cause I feel like everybody I run into in the North, like on, especially like on public land and stuff up North or in the Midwest, feels like there's not there nearly that amount of, of run-ins that we have down here. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. The turkey hunters aren't as thick anywhere else either. I bet you. Yeah, that's true. Could it just be the comp- nature of it maybe i mean you just get enough people piled into this place and enough people that are thinking i have to kill something no matter what and i don't know just one thing leads to another and you probably just have more occurrences of it down here yeah i mean just hearing y'all's story from from that hunt i remember that i remember that well um when adam first first told it to us and joey i know you had uh opening day kind of opening day blues on public land this uh this week and uh mine in florida was pretty bad the opening day just seems like those kind of run-ins was y'all's happened did it happen to be on opening day no we were like maybe it was a couple of days it was not far past opening day though maybe the opening week or the next week yeah but it was like middle of the week too oh yeah 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 it wasn't even like a saturday because that that's why we were like there should be nobody out there you know going to this public land spot middle of the week and lo and behold boy in a white pickup truck i don't know might have been the same guy if you said that other guy was a white pickup truck (laughs) shot out of the ring camera too but i don't know hey they had the same idea that y'all did ain't nobody gonna be out here in the middle of the week on this public spot (laughs) oh man we didn't know we could drop to it yeah (laughs) i wouldn't take him a boat if i knew i could just like jump over the fence yeah <laughs> that boy was hooping and hollering and, and i heard the other guy say i thought i heard him gobbling down here i was like oh god oh, dude it was the most redneck thing i've ever witnessed so I, I wish we had called the game word but heck i called the game word the next week to ask because 
I went and hunted it again and I had a run in with the landowner. And so I called like the local game warden. I've got his number. And I was like, Hey man, you know, is this public land? He's like, I don't know. I was like, how do you not know? Like, come on, man. Like it's, yeah. Anyways, it's on every map as public, but the landowner acted like it was his land, but I think he's just leasing it. Um, I won't go into too many details. That game warden just didn't want to fool with you that day. <laughs> no, he didn't. And then I ended up dropping my phone and dead gum, uh, the, the water there. So I lost that. Remember that? <laughs> you remember that Parker? Was that the day your boat got stuck on the bank? Yep, that was the day I got stuck on the bank, and I lost my phone. (laughs) I remember that year. It was all at the same exact time. So bad. So bad. But what a relationship created. Now we get to have Jay on the podcast. Yeah. Look at the relationships here. (laughs) Full circle. Circle life. Well, Jay, man, I know uh, I know you got a lot going on. It's getting late. We really appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun, man. I hope we get to do this again. Uh, so really appreciate you coming on here, though. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I appreciate y'all having me on. It was great being on here and just talking turkey. Who doesn't love it? I certainly do. Yeah. Dumb people. Dumb people don't. That's right. <laughs> don't be humans. For real. <laughs> Well, everyone out there, thanks for listening. I appreciate you guys following along with us, and uh, see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Limhanger Turkey Hunting Podcast. Hope you tune in next week for another great conversation about our favorite bird in the woods as the wild turkey. We'll talk to you guys next week.